What a sad quartet of lessons. In Genesis, a mother and her teenage son are kicked out of the family, sent out into the wilderness with nothing but a picnic lunch and a jug of water. Have a nice life, as long as it might last in the desert. In the psalm, the writer cries out, I'm poor and in misery because violent people are trying to kill me. Paul, in his letter to Romans, says to join this Jesus thing, you need to die to yourself and be buried in baptism. And Jesus says, you think I came to bring peace? Nope. I'm going to turn families against each other. Now, excuse me, where is the good news in any of that? Now, just because bits of the Bible are not good news doesn't mean the whole Bible is not good news. And the bad news about the good news, or the good news about the bad news, is that until you've heard the bad news, you really aren't interested in the good news. And what happens today is the good news has gone bad, not because God did anything wrong to mess it up, but because people messed it up. We're good at that. We take good things that God gives us and twist them to our own use until they're hardly recognizable, and then we blame God because they're bent or broken. And that's what happened today in that bad news that we heard, that, that a good thing has been twisted and turned. A good thing that human beings are made in the image of God has been twisted by people to justify mistreating other people. Now, we are, this is part three of a sermon series about the Trinity, that God is somehow three and one at the same time. That for God, one plus one plus one equals one. And we started out in the first chapter of Genesis when God created human beings in His image, which means that we people are a whole lot like God in many ways. And one of those ways is that God's a Trinity, so are we. He's just better at it than we are. And like God, we are one person who plays different roles in our life. Like God, last week we heard we're a trinity of mind and body and spirit. And this week, I'm going to talk about that we have a trinity of relationships. Both God does and we do. And there's a picture of it in your sermon notes page, and it's going to be up here on the screen in just a second. Each of us is born with a relationship with ourselves. And right outside of ourselves, we have the second circle of our family, our blood family, certainly, but also the people that we would identify as our tribe. Now, our tribe are the people that are like us. They may be come from the same neighborhood or the same town or the same part of the world. They may have the same ethnic background or speak the same language. They may do the same sorts of things for work or hobby. They may follow the same sports team. We have lots of things that we define as our tribe. There's one right now, the Cubs, right there, that whole row of people in their Cubs mask. That would be a tribe right there, okay? So we each have a tribe, and the people in our tribe, are that, that would be us. And then that last circle of ourselves, that trinity of, of relationships, is everybody else, all of those folks who are not our tribe. And they may not be our tribe because they come from someplace else, so they may be a different size or shape or color or condition. But whatever it is, they are not us. They are those people. And you know who those people are. And because they are them and not us, we don't have to treat them as well or the same as we treat the people who are us. 
everyone has this trinity of relationships, which mirrors the trinity of relationships that God has. You see, God, at the center of God's being is this relationship with Himself as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And this relationship of love swirls around inside that center of who God is. And that love then bubbles out into the next circle of God's relationships, which, which would be His family. All of the people who have said yes to His invitation to be in His family, starting with Abraham and his descendants who would be Israel and what today we would call the Jews, and then it extends onto us. You see, God's family, God's tribe is us. And then there's all of those folks who are everyone else, who are not in God's family, who are not in God's tribe because either they don't know they're invited and everyone is invited, or they got the invitation but said, no, thank you, or not yet. And how does God treat those people on the outside? God so loved the world, that would be everyone who's not yet in his family. God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves those people in that outside circle of his relationships. And he sweetens the deal because as soon as someone in that outside circle says yes to Jesus' invitation, they move into the circle of God's family, God's tribe. God wants, He created us in His image with a trinity of relationships, and God's intention is that our trinity would be the same as His. But being like God and acting like God are two different deals, aren't they? Because you see, we're all born with this relationship with ourselves, like God is, but unlike God, the relationship we have between our mind and our body and our, our spirit is not one of love that just swirls around and then love that bubbles out into those other circles of our life. No, that's not the way that people are. People are born wanting what they want, when they want it, how they want it. People are born as the center of their own universe. You say, oh, but babies are so sweet and innocent. No, they're not. No, they're not. If babies are hungry or tired or or uncomfortable, they don't really care what anybody else thinks. How many of you had babies that in the middle of the night said, you know, mom and dad had a tough day. And now that they're peacefully asleep, I don't want to disturb them that I have this stuff in my diaper. So I'm just going to lie here in my filth miserable and hungry and uncomfortable. And and I'm sure someone will come and and check on me sooner or later and and take care of me. Why are you laughing? Because no baby ever did that, did they? Certainly not the ones in my house. No. If babies ain't happy, ain't nobody around them happy. They don't care what anybody else thinks. They don't care what anybody else wants. They don't care what makes anybody else uncomfortable. Sadly, Some of those babies never grow up. We all know people, don't we, who still think they're the center of the universe and until they're happy, ain't nobody else going to be happy. That's how human beings are. And unless we let or invite someone or something else into that center of our being, that's the way that we're going to be for our entire life. 
And this circle of relationships that we have are not just three disparate, separate relationships. They are concentric circles because that relationship at the center of my being and the center circle of my life is the one that influences and affects and determines all the other relationships in my life with my tribe and with everybody else. And as long as that 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 center relationship is with myself, then I stay the center of the universe. And it becomes the foundational relationship that then affects every other relationship in my life, for better or for worse. It becomes the organizing principle. It becomes the thing that determines everything else I do in my life. The Bible calls that kind of thing at the center of our life our God with a little g. Now, we don't tend to think like that and call things gods, especially not with a little g. But whatever it is in your life that everything else is built around, whatever relationship it is in your life that is foundational upon which all other relationships are built, whatever it is in your life that grabs the first dibs on your time and your attention and your energy and your resources, whatever it is in your life that's most important to you is your God. Now, it may be a little G God. It might be the big G God. But it is what is the God at the center of our being, which is why God gives us three commandments. He wants us to be like Him. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Love those people in your tribe the same way that I have loved you. And love your neighbors, everybody else, all those folks who are not in your tribe. Love them at least as much as you love yourself. Because as long as I or some other little G-God is in there, that ain't going to happen. And that thing or myself are going to run my life. Now, no matter what is in the center of someone's life, most people still love their family. They still are devoted to whatever their tribe is, however they define that, even if that tribe abuses them. That's why abused spouses and and children stick around. But the love we have for our tribe and the devotion we have to our tribe does not necessarily extend to that other circle of people outside of our tribe, those people who are in other tribes, which then means we don't have to treat them the way we treat ourselves. And whatever it is that is at the core of our being and and however it is that our tribe treats those people will determine how we treat them because they are them, not us. So Hagar, excuse me, So Sarah can kick Hagar and Ishmael out of the house and out of the family because even though they're part of Abraham's tribe, they're not Sarah's tribe. Hagar's Egyptian, not a Hebrew. And I can kick her out because she's one of them, not one of us. Does that mean Sarah is being racist? It gets worse. The psalmist today says, I am poor and in misery because people who are not in my tribe, violent people who are not in my tribe, are trying to kill me. 
Does that sound familiar? People trying to kill other people because they're from a different group? Now, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael lived 4,000 years ago. The psalm was written 3,000 years ago. Racism is not a new thing. Racism is not a white thing. Racism is a tribal thing. Racism is a tribal thing because everyone sees themselves as a member of some tribe somehow, which then means the folks that are the folks that are not in my tribe are people in other tribes, and everybody in every tribe looks at everybody else that they form into and say, Are you one of us or one of them? Everybody does that. You see, racism is not, is not a, a white problem. It's everybody's problem because we all do it, whatever our tribe is as opposed to whoever's in those other tribes. It's not something that happened only between the United States and Africans or the United States and Native Americans. It's also China and India and India and Pakistan and the Arabs and the Israelis and the Hindus and the Muslims and the Sunnis and the Shiite Muslims and the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland and the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda and the Crips and the Bloods in Los Angeles and sometimes the Gators and Seminoles here. Racism is not really the problem. Tribalism is. Racism is just a symptom of what, how we define ourselves and our tribe and how we think we can treat those other tribes. If we have anything other than the loving, selfless Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of the Bible in that center core of our being, then we have permission to treat other people any way we want to or why would we treat them with any kind of kindness if it doesn't directly benefit me or my tribe? You see, whatever they have, my tribe should own. It should be mine. And therefore, I have permission to lie, cheat, steal, exploit, enslave, kill, without even feeling guilty because they are them and not us. But... If we have that loving, selfless Father, Son, and Holy Spirit inside the very core of our being, then the love that is the Trinity is going to swirl around until it bubbles out into me and I begin to, to, to see my tribe as not my blood family, not just the people who look like me, but my tribe is God's tribe. No matter what size or shape or color or condition, they come in. And even those folks who are not in God's tribe, not in God's family yet, well, he calls them neighbors and demands that we love them at least as much as we love ourselves. We're not going to end racism by protests and demonstrations and tearing down statues and changing the names of public places. We're not going to change anybody's hearts by changing things on the outside of them. We're going to change people's hearts 
by changing our own hearts. You see, I can't change you. I can't change society. I can't fix racism by myself. Can't do it. The only thing I can change is myself. The only thing I have any power over is what or who is in the inmost circle of my life. And who is it that I define as my tribe? Is it the people that just look like me? Or is it the people in God's family, in God's tribe? And how am I going to treat those folks in all of those other tribes? As them or as my neighbor? And as I do that, then God will change the world. I will change the world with Jesus one person at a time, starting with myself, and then perhaps my own family, and then perhaps the Messiah family, and then perhaps our community in ever-widening circles of relationships as the love of God is poured out into me and from me into other people and from us into other people. As we learn that my tribe is not just the folks that look like me, my tribe is God's tribe and everyone that he says in his fam- are in his family. Racism exists not because people aren't created in God's image, but because we forget that all people are created in God's image. Racism exists because in the trinity of their relationships, too many people have something other than a big G God in the center of their life, and define their tribe so narrowly that they can justify mistreating everybody else. Now, yes, there are people, yes, there are people who call themselves Christians, who say they have a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but whose lives and actions show that something else other than the big G God is at the center of their life. And there are ignorant Christians, and by ignorant, I'm not trying to insult them, but simply they don't know any better. There are ignorant Christians who don't realize, don't understand that loving God includes loving each other in the family and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And the folks, the Christians who don't know that yet, that's our challenge. To love them enough to share with them and show them how to love each other and those folks in all of those other tribes. You see, because without Jesus in my life, we're in different tribes because we're different colors and speak different languages. Without Jesus, we're in different tribes because you're from up north and you know how those people are. Without Jesus, we're in different tribes because you like a different sports team from me. Without Jesus, we're in different tribes because we're different ages, we're different genders, we're different sizes and shapes. But with Jesus, we're the same tribe. We're in the same family and can love each other in spite of whatever size, shape, color, or condition we come. And thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for understanding that those folks who are not yet in our tribe are still our neighbors and we're going to love them the same way we love ourselves. Thank you. I'm going to leave you with three questions today. With whom or with what is your core relationship? In other words, who or what is your God? Is it a little G God or the big G God? Who are your family? 
and the tribe, the people that you most identify with? And thirdly, how will you treat everyone else who's not in your tribe?